Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 9 of the Canny Conversations podcast, powered by The Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. This week's Canny Conversations podcast features the first part of Safraz's conversation between him and Paul Eels, Group Chief Executive of the Skills and Education Group. Paul has been with this organisation for 13 years, during which it's grown from a small regional membership body to a major national organisation. In this wide-ranging chat, Paul traces his career journey from school into hospitality and catering to become a lecturer and eventually rising to his current leadership role. Safras and Paul discuss pursuing continuous learning and qualifications as an adult. Paul shares perspectives on contributing to his schools through voluntary roles such as charity trustee, school governor and other community involvement. He talks about the importance of giving back and describes some of the organisations he supports. Safras and Paul cover some other topics including the changing faces of the FE sector, networking beyond one's immediate industry and pushing yourself as a leader to think differently. Paul provides an inside look at leading a long established membership organisation and building on its legacy. So let's hear from Safras and Paul. Welcome to Kind Conversations podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. We've been talking about this for a while now. I won't yeah, mention, yeah. you know, how, how long it's been, but for a, for a while. And I've noticed since then yeah, that your organisation has got the got its own po- podcast. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I've dipped into it as well. So you're doing a fantastic job. And they really, don't let me yeah. present. They don't let me present that. So, but, uh, but honestly, thank you so much for all your support. Pleasure. Thank you for coming today. Uh, today is really about us having a conversation about some of the work that you do as an organisation, but also more importantly in my perspective to get to know you a little bit more i've gone through your resume gone through your cv we've had a discussion offline we've had a discussion many many times and there's so many interesting facts and information about yourself that i'm always blown away so let's start off with that if we can a little bit about you who you are in terms of the current role which obviously doesn't define you but your role as uh, the group ceo of skills education group a little bit about the organization about yourself and then so it's really a pleasure to be here thank you for inviting me as you say we've been talking about this for quite a little while i've been Group Chief Executive of Skills and Education Group, now 13 years. We weren't Skills and Education Group when I joined. We were called MFEC, which many people will remember that name. It's been around for a little while. The organization's been around 111 years. And we've changed. I was invited to be the Chief Executive. Uh, The then chair said to me when he offered me the job, MFEC needs to change, and we think you're the person that can do it. Um, I hope I've lived up to that. We've changed out of all recognition. Uh, We were a very small East Midlands-based membership organisation with members only in the East Midlands region. We're now a national membership organisation with 63 FE colleges and skills providers in membership. And then we have three awarding organisations, which we've acquired over the uh, 13 years with around 900 centres uh, delivering all kinds of qualifications but at our heart 
We're a membership body for further education colleges, skills providers, supporting their development and championing and supporting social mobility. That's what we do at our heart. Fantastic. Thank you. Really appreciate that again. Thank you for your support as well in terms of supporting initiatives like the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, the Multicultural Apprenticeship Awards. You were an ambassador from day one mm-hmm. with regard to the Art Awards, which were at the time called Asian Apprenticeship Awards. And you took a risk in terms of putting your brand, your association with us. And, you know, that was your, that's your legacy. You can't take that away. With that support, it allowed us to who we are. And, and whenever we meet, I always thank you for that. That would be a remiss of me to not to do that. So thank you again for that support. It's a pleasure. It's, it, it's a real important agenda that, that you're leading and you're a trailblazer for. And it wasn't just me. There's lots of people from around the sector and lots of organisations from around the sector saw that the work that you were doing, saw how important it was, uh, and were keen to get behind it. And, and I did no more than less than anybody else did. No, but again, it's, again, I will say this because you're a leader within the sector, you're an influencer within the sector, and when they see you know, somebody like yourself who's, who's involved in it, because the name of a, a cause is a cause, but it's like it's the people who are supporting it. And that is what we you know, sometimes need. It, it's that support, it's that encouragement, and you, you've done that and you did that and you continue to continue to, to do so, which, which again, I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of and thank you often. And it's one of the reasons why we're continuously sort of being pushed and challenged because it's that trust that you put in us to say, you know, we can't take that away. And there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders because of people like yourself who, who supported us. So... Paul, uh, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the skills education group and in terms of really understanding the organization because it's quite complicated for, I think it's complicated for anybody within the industry as well to really understand the dynamics of it. You know, an awarding body, is, awarding organization is an awarding organization, but you're more than that. Membership organization is a membership organization, you're more than that. You've gone on the acquisition trail, you've looked for opportunities, you're very strategic in terms of your, your aspect of it, but then you're also opportunity driven if the opportunity fits in with what you know where you are from a marketing branding perspective it's very strong absolutely very strong it's quite key the name is a fantastic name it says what it is and i think the simplicity of the name itself is is genius in, in its own right so let's talk a little bit about you know how does it all fit in and the burden of the responsibility you have is a hundred and 1112 years uh, as, as an organization you've been going for a more than a century 111 112 years you're a charitable organization that has its own responsibilities mm-hmm. your organization with a legacy with a heritage that's all has its own responsibilities and then you've got all these centers and all these people that in a way well you are responsible for so how, how, does, how does that all work yeah and when you put it like that it just feels quite a weight uh, and quite weighty I would describe it, how do I feel about the organisation and where I am? I feel like I'm in a relay race. When you're uh, running an organisation that was there way before you were yeah. even thought of, the, the building we're in was built the year I was born. Oh. Um, so there's, there's some, re- some really interesting perspective. And I can only describe it like a relay race. And I've got a baton and I've picked it up from the previous Yes Chief Executive Chair 
board, senior management that went before me and building on the legacy. I am the fourth chief executive since I was born that run that organisation. Only the fourth, which is quite an interesting perspective. You don't get that much in many organisations. So, so the weight feels a little bit more. And the key thing is not to drop the baton mm. and the organisation, to build it and to ensure that it thrives into the future. And that's where, where we've been and the journey we've been on. At the point in which we changed our name in 2018 mm. uh, from MFEC, mm. and that was quite a legacy name, mm. Skills and Education Group is the fifth name in our 111 okay. years. So it's an iteration. And lots of people will know uh, that have had MFEC qualifications in the past or done MFEC CPD, teacher training. They will have a view of MFEC and what it does and did. And we needed to build on that. But recognising it, was, MFEC was an iteration. It was part of what we did. Skills and Education Group came about because we wanted to build beyond the East Midlands. We wanted to build on our national awarding organisation, which was then called the ABC Awards, and move the whole thing forward. My chair and I had quite an interesting conversation <laughs> that was around, we're a charity. What is it that we're doing that charities should do? Mm. And we're very similar in lots of ways to other not-for-profits um, in membership terms for awarding organisations but actually, a lot of what we did could be done by for-profit organisations. And we'd been searching and having over about a year, two years, which coincided with the name of the ch change of name, mm. looking for that resendetra that says, this makes us very clearly a charity and a focus. And that's where setting up our foundation around championing and supporting social mobility mm -hmm. came about. It's now where we put 40% of our surpluses uh, that we make each year into grants for learners, championing, supporting social mobility. And we've begun strongly with the grants work and we're now starting to get into that championing work. And I'm delighted that Baroness Nikki Morgan has become our first ambassador and we're beginning to work with her really closely. So as a charity, we're moving still very much owned by our members, focused on the needs of our members, but actually what do they want to say about the work that we do around the voice that they want to give to their collective impact on championing, supporting learners. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was reading up a little bit about the grant element of it. And again, congratulations in terms of coming up with that. I, I think uh, uh, at one time you gave 149 grants, but, you know, this year in terms of the year ended, it's, it's gone up to 300 in terms of the applications. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it ranges from £200 to £1,000 yes, right. per person. And, you know, you're covering things like maybe educational costs, resources, childcare even. Yeah. So you know, on a case-by-case -case basis, these are looked at and learners can apply and particularly with the cost of living and, and some of the difficulties that learners yeah. are having, it, it could be the difference between them doing the qualification, completing the qualification as well. So, And those grants are available to learners that are in one of our member institutions, one of our members' uh, yeah. organisations. Yeah. And, yeah, some of the stories are heartbreaking when you see the things that are stopping people continuing in, or potentially stopping people continuing in learning. We've also done quite a bit that helps. We've done 
supporting a, a the development of resources for young people and adults in a number of colleges. So there'll be legacy for, for years to come. We've supported a, a special needs football team and, mm. you know, some lots of things that we're doing that enabling people to not only participate but to thrive in their learning environment. And, yes, there's some real interesting stories, you know, some of our access learners in some of our centres that, you know, the resources, the, the commitment, the, the what people are giving up to go into learning to better themselves and their families are quite significant. And the little bit that we're able to do in investing in people's futures is, I think, a, a, a worthwhile uh, activity. So, I mean, I know at the moment the grants are, are paused because the number of volumes that come through, uh, well, hopefully whenever the next opportunity is, you know, you would encourage your member organisations to, to do that. And I think it would be fantastic sort of case studies and testimonials, uh, particularly yeah. trying to understand the stories behind the learners and, you know, what difference this grant can make. It, 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 it's sometimes very, uh, very surprising one, one of our just quickly one of our learners spoke at our conference mamalona and she talked about what did yes of course a grant has a, an amount of money and you do things with it but she also said what it did for her she said somebody believed in me somebody was in interested enough to give me some money to and that built her confidence has made her i've seen her speak she's she spoke in the house of the lords uh, not that long ago at one of our receptions and i don't think she would have ever contemplated doing a being in that room but b giving her story and inspiring lots of other people. So for me, it's more than just giving somebody some money, more than just paying a bill or giving them some equipment. It's actually what does it do to inspire their confidence, their belief in themselves and that journey that they're going to take. Paul, well, you're a chief executive, a group chief executive of the organisation, and you've been there for 13 years. But you were, you, you've not always been a group chief executive uh, of a fantastic organisation. I want to delve a little bit into, you know, what's got you here really, and and that that journey. Mm -hmm. And you and I have got a lot a lot in common. Obviously, we're from a, a, a similar region in in the country. You know, we spoke about your O-level uh, history and my O-level history. In that I aspect. don't think I, I have I, an O-level history. I, I, yeah. I, think was, I think that was the issue. Did you want to share? Do you want? Do you want? Do you want to share? Do you want to share? That's that's the thing. Uh, I, I never really, I never, I never achieved uh, O-levels as well. As well, I was uh, mainly a GCE or G CSE. Chaps yes. D E's and, and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so you. I don't have an yeah. O level to my so name. So we, we've got we've got yeah, that yeah, we've yeah. got we've got that in common from the same city. We've got and no O levels. No O levels. Yeah, you got in that. You got that in common. We've not but, done but, too badly though, but, have but we? But you've done you, honestly, and this is one of the things that I say to people is that. Uh, Yes, it's important in terms of qualifications and you've got Absolutely. to give it your 100% and so forth. But, you know, life doesn't end uh, at GCC, so it doesn't end at A-levels and it doesn't end at degrees. It depends on, you know, how you, know, how you as an individual thrive and, and go through and how you see the challenges. So let's talk a little bit about the journey through here and what's got you here. I have got your resume, I have got your CV right in front of me, but I'll let you pick up on sort of memorable points within that and then I'll delve, delve in so how, how do how do we get here how do we get here <laughs> how do we get here would you start from here <laughs> um, I as we I've just said I left school with not an O-level to my name not that I didn't like school it was the academic bit that just didn't get there and and more recently, I've done cognitive assist uh, assessments, and and I have a very spiky profile. Okay. Um, my I have a short working memory, but I've got 
a quite strong executive function. And I'm likely to be dyslexic in terms of not had a formal diagnosis, but likely to be dyslexic, which tells me a kind of everything I probably knew, really. Yeah. Um, my youngest son is severely dyslexic, so it flows, and it's certainly not my wife that's dyslexic. So my mum and family were in event catering, Stratford Racecourse, Hereford Racecourse, Racecourse Catering, um, and I'd been involved in that kind of from a young age, you know, going to work, wash-up machine, nine, age nine, all that sort of stuff. So I started working very young. Not illegally, but just, uh, <laughs> just family, family, yeah, support, supporting the family. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. absolutely right. And then went to catering college. I went to do catering at Warsaw College, and it was like switching on. I was doing something I liked. I enjoyed it. I thrived. I became much more front of house and back of house. I found myself enjoying learning and actually doing well at it. And I then was in the third year one of my lecturers said, you ought to teach, okay. which is great, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not, not sure what I thought I was ever going to do with that, <laughs> that statement. Yeah. Um, but a year after I left college, they phoned me up and said, would you like to teach part-time in the college restaurant okay. at Warsaw College? And I said, yes, please. I did three nights a week. They put me through my adult teacher certificate yeah. and the rest, as they say, it's history. 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 We won't leave it to that, Paul. You can't. You can't get away with it. With Is it like not that. the end no, of the no, podcast? No, no, no. You can't. We can't. We can't. We can't. We can't do that. I know you're trying to get away with it, but we can't, we can't, I can't. I can't let you do that. I want to talk to you a little bit about the education aspect of it because you're, you're in Harvard now. You know, you're doing your management qualifications. And you've got a true testament to lifelong learning. Yes, fine, you've had the GCSEs, the O-levels, uh, GCSEs now, but the O-levels at, at the time, but you've continued on the path of learning. So talk to us a little bit about the, that qualification aspect of it. And, and, where have I, get, yeah, where have I yeah. got to? So, um, so we, we sp- spoke about the assessing qualification, the teaching qualification that you know you had at, the, at Walsall College, but talk to us about... We've got here Harvard, Harvard Business School, we've got University of Plymouth, we've got University of Fullerhampton, we've got University of Central England, UCE. So where does it all fit in and how does it all, what's, what's the makeup there? I think going to college and getting my, what would now be level one, level two, level three, craft qualifications as we would define it now, that's not how it was. If you're a qualified chef in this country with a, of a certain age, you'd know about 706, one and two. Yeah. I got those and those were gold standard sitting eels qualifications Absolutely. back in the day. And probably lots of people of our age might still hanker after those days and yeah. those qualifications. And I think I learned the value of qualifications. It really, really galls me when people talk about degrees and the importance of degrees and then actually say vocational training, that's all you need. You don't need vocational qualifications. There was a a government report a good few years ago now that talked about level two taking you into cul-de-sacs. Okay. Cul-de-sacs have gullies, <laughs> um, and you can get it from one it's place not, to another. It's not the end of the road. It's not the end of the road. No, you have, you, you might have to go through on foot through the gully, yeah. but you, there's routes through. There's a pathway out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I see the value of qualifications. I never thought, never dreamt in a million years I'd go to university. People like me don't go to university. You leave school with not an O-level to your name. 
I never believed and never thought about it. And I just happened to have a set of circumstances where I was no longer doing the event catering business, uh, at the race courses. I wasn't at Warsaw at the time. I was kind of like, so what? Am I? I was at that crossroads. What do I do? And I was going to do a cert ed. That was my intention, go to UC, um, University of Central England. It was Birmingham Polytechnic when, Poly when I started. Yeah. yeah, when I started, it was yeah. Birmingham Polytechnic. It's not even called either of those things anymore. And I was going to do a cert ed to carry on teaching in FE. That was the plan. And I was flicking through the uh, prospectus and came across this degree jointly awarded by Birmingham Poly and the Birmingham College of Food. So I thought, oh, I'll phone the course director up. Never thinking you'd say, come and join the course. Okay. And I went, because I can remember me saying, well, I haven't got any A-levels. <laughs> and he went, but you're over 21. I was 23 at the time. You're a mature student. Oh. We'll have you. Yeah. And you've got all this experience. experience. I've got industry experience. I've got industry-relevant qualifications. I've got all the things that they took into consideration. Went for an interview and they offered me a place on the program and then I started teaching alongside part-time at Tamworth College wow. um, and I did I worked for four years at Tamworth doing my degree and working full-time uh, well equivalent to full-time hours. So the degree was in uh, hotel and catering management mm -hmm. is, that, is that right so it's by UCB uh, working in partnership with the hospitality college at the time Birmingham yeah, College of, of food. food and Hospitality yes. I think yeah. So UCE or University of Central England now is called Birmingham City University. Yeah. They've all changed their names. Yeah, it's hard, hard, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. hard to catch Absolutely. up with some of these names. Yeah. And the College of Food is Birmingham University College. University, University College Birmingham, yeah, UCB, yeah, who, are, yeah. who happen to be our patrons. So thank you for that. Thank you for that, yeah. So, but that didn't stop. You know, you carried on with, you know, going to University of Wolverhampton. You did a postgraduate diploma in training management. And it is like, this is your life here. You know, <laughs> then University of Plymouth. Was that, was that online or was that distance no, learning? No, it was a top-up master's oh, right. uh, in personnel and development. Yeah. And that built on my postgrad diploma. And then I... I uh, just, it happened to come out, it happened to be for a year and it was two research modules and a dissertation. So to top it up to a full master's. So you got your first degree, you got your postgrad, then you got your master's, fantastic, hats off to you, Paul. Then you sort of had a bit of a break in terms of possibly the bigger qualifications, degree qualifications, obviously we're continuously learning, continuously doing CPD, it doesn't stop. But then 2022, if I can call it midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah we're, we're, you're, I'm a little bit distant, so you can't, you, can't, you can't slap me at the moment, but, but we've got you on camera as well. But 2022... Harvard, Harvard Business School. Yeah, where, where's where's that coming from? Where's, where's where, that comes yeah. from? That was that came out of a conversation with my chair <laughs> around how are we developing skills and education group, how are we setting the future, yeah, and an investment in my executive training and development around picking up key issues around strategic leadership, picking up things around how we doing competitive deal negotiating, that sort of next level thing to take the Keeping organization Keeping you on your toes, for. really. Yes. Keeping you stretching and challenging and yes. so forth. And you know yes. what? And you're, one thing is, you know, you're in the mix of people 
from all over the world. Yes. Uh, you have a mix of people who are possibly at the uh, you know like similar to yourself at the at the forefront of, of organizations. So you need we all need peer support. We need peer peer sort of coaching, peer support. We need good team of people around us. I, I, and I'm also part of a thing called Windsor Leadership, which is a is a particular charity that works with leaders and. I'm fairly well networked in the FE and skills sector, but I've part of my focus in the last few years, so the couple of years before I went to Harvard, um, well, three or four years before I went to Harvard and going to Harvard was about actually networking outside of the sector. There's some really great people, people like yourself, yeah. Saf, and lots of others that I consider good friends, work colleagues, but we're all kind of... We're all in the same bubble. We're yeah. all lined up. We all kind of, not. I don't know whether we all think the same, but yeah. we're, we're in that same journey. Group think a little bit, you could yeah. say. Yeah, slightly, no, yeah. Because it's the same pressures, the same thinking. Yeah. And sometimes you need to talk to people outside your space. That's yeah. Absolutely. And that's really important. And as much as I value the relationships I have inside the sector, and there's a lot of people that I know really well that are I'd consider be friends, you need to... You're right. Groupthink is absolutely the right word for it. How do you stretch and challenge yourself? How do I stretch and challenge my thinking as the chief executive of Skills and Education Group to actually go further, to be different, to innovate more, to find different ways forward and actually hand the baton on when I come to the end of my tenure to actually we did all we could. We were stretched. I rocked up and actually did a handbrake turn into the car park space Absolutely. at the end. That's, for me, the important bit. I, I will add to that. It, it is, you know, there's so much learning that we can learn from others outside the sector, the innovation. There's so many things now that it doesn't really matter to a certain level of the sector. Uh, there's a lot of transferable knowledge, a lot of transferable elements of it, a lot of good practice that we can see. And we say, you know, particularly because we're a people-led business predominantly, yeah. that we can actually you know, incorporate into our organizations and into the sector. I think that definitely is the right way and uh, it, it makes who you are as well. So thank you for sharing that. In terms of uh, some of the roles, there's a dearth of different roles that you've had. So, you know, talked about being a lecturer and, and, and teaching but you know, you've been on the other side as well. You've been in the awarding body side in terms of external verification. You've also been on the quality end of it in terms of Ofsted, uh, being an Ofsted inspector. And then you've had sort of commercial hats on as well. You're a, a MD and on all of those sort of things. So in terms of uh, somebody with multiple hats on or multiple experiences, so that's definitely you know uh, transfers in terms of our conversations that we have because you know you win more than one hat in terms of just the knowledge and the skills but you're also doing that now currently in terms of all the volunteering that you've got on so you know you've you've done that throughout your life to a certain level so let's talk talk to me about some of these you're an md of, a, of an organization you're an external verifier you're a, uh, a group trained director you're an offset inspector we'll, we'll throw all of that in and then come a little bit more to the uh, current role a little bit more and then we'll delve a little bit more into the sector and back into skills education group. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. Oh, blimey. <laughs> How do I pull all that yeah, together? Yeah. As you were reading some of that back, it, it would suggest I didn't particularly have a plan, and I probably didn't and don't. I don't have a personal career plan. There was definitely no personal career plan. I just happened to find myself in certain places, and, and I think taking opportunities. You're right in what you said earlier around my hospitality has played a big part of 
the industry transferred into my FE and skills career, uh, certainly in the early parts up until 2003. And I took that with me, which is why, I, I mean, I set up, I worked for a, a, a provider based in Dudley for a couple of years, two or three years, helping them understand. I went from an FE college into an independent provider. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't know whether I went to the dark side or went into the came into the light. <laughs> uh, depends on your perspective. So and, this is Interskill? Yeah, no, Kudos. Oh, Kudos. Oh, Kudos. Kudos. Yeah, okay. based in Dudley. Okay, but Kudos was um, working with long-term unemployed adults. It had MVQs. I'd taken sorted MVQs out at Tamworth College. The, the Kudos group, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then I'd taken that into Kudos and actually helped turn around their quality. Uh, and then an opportunity came up to set up my own training organisation, right. Interskill, which I did in 1997. I had it for about seven years. Yeah, seven um, years. Yeah. And set Hospital- that out from scratch. Hospitality. Yeah, hospitality. Started in the uh, pub sector and really enjoyed it. It was great. And it was a great opportunity, which sadly, like lots of things, funding issues, funding changes, these things. There's so much changes going on within yeah. the sector at the time. From but text to LSC. The Learning Skills Council came Absolutely. in. And, you know, the whole landscape changed at I, the time. It did indeed. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things with our sector that sometimes, you know, even if you're even if, you, even if you're doing all the right things, you know, the, the sector changes so much with the direction of travel from mm. government and priorities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we all live to fight another day. Yeah. That started, having Interskill started my interest in inspection. Yeah. Um, and around 97, back in the 97, they formed the Training Standards Council, which became the Adult Learning Inspectorate, which went into Ofsted. Yeah. And for me, I went to be an inspector to learn what is it that they want and they're looking for in order to make sure my organisation followed that and got that. So I did inspection for 12 years, really important part of what I did, really important inspection, I believe in inspection. I think sometimes we've lost the point of it, but I actually think it's an important part, an important external measure if it's done in the right way. Okay, so you're there for 12 years. Was that a big, busy part of your life? Like, uh, you know, you're an associate inspector. Well, was, was that full-time? It was, was part-time. 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 So, so doing, four yeah. inspections a year, yeah. four or five yeah. inspections a year. Yeah, yeah, but keeps you on your toes in terms of what's going the, on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I was on the initial training program, the first cohort of inspectors for the Training Standards Council in November 1997. I remember that training, which was the most challenging thing I've ever done. They certainly put you through the mill to ensure that you were good at what you did. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, then you went into the the sort of slightly third sector, if I can call it, charitable organisation, non-for-profit organisations with your role as within a ELP, the Association yeah. of Employment Learning Providers, and you were a director of sector reforms. And 14 uh, to 19. And, and, and 14 to 19. So was that your first foray into that whole third sector, if I can call it third sector, not-for-profit, charitable, membership, membership organisation membership organization type. Uh, and you were there for nearly six years. Yeah. As, as a, as a so I'd been the general manager. I'd set up Northamptonshire Training Provider Network oh, yes. just yeah. ahead. I did 18 months. I said, I'd been the chair a couple of years before as a provider, been off to chair the uh, North Hertfordshire Network as a provider. Okay. And then... I, so I then had, went yeah, to ALP yeah. okay. to do policy. 
I did sectors, I did regions, I did policy. So 14 to 19 and um, sector reforms is effectively policy. Anything that was changing in policy terms, uh, I was leading on for AELP. Okay. Chair of a local school, and I know you know you and I spoke about this, and you said, well, it's, it's been a long time, it's been more than a decade. Yeah. But I'm fascinated by a chair of a governing panel, particularly at school, because probably one of the toughest things, to be to be frank with you, is that no, it's an unpaid voluntary role, but the responsibility on your shoulders, the uh, being part, let alone being a chair, but just being part of a, a being a governor at a school, I think that responsibility, and particularly if it's a school within your community that you know, your children or you know your loved ones go, go to, and I think that's definitely worth mentioning and, and talking about even even if it was more than a decade ago <laughs> so how, how was that experience because you were there for a fair while you were there nearly nine years my kids went there and it was school at the time that was struggling probably and yeah. i'd seen parents taking their kids out of the school we made a decision as a pet as it was our local primary school we were there to you know sometimes you have to roll your sleeves up and you have to put your money where your mouth is yeah. and we had a as far as I was concerned, an obligation to help support in any way we could as a family and therefore joining the uh, the governing body, just something that you should do. I think we, we have a responsibility, don't we? If we've got some skills and we can help, uh, I've got an inspection background, not in schools, but I've got an inspection background, which was helpful and doing the right thing. Um, the school was going through some changes of head teachers. It was one of those things that was, I've got some skills here that I should be bringing to. I'm very much a believer in if you've got something to bring, then don't walk the other way. Get involved and, and roll your sleeves up and, and add to what's going on in that place. Absolutely, hats off in terms of that. I mean, you've been giving back really to society, to community, you know, all, all the way through. And, and it, it reads uh, very clearly in terms of the, the voluntary work that you do. I mean, yes, you've got a full-time job and you've got other things that you, you know, you get roped into. And, you know, like sometimes we do, you know, we knock on your door and say, you know, can you get involved with this? And, you know, what's your thoughts on this? But you've been giving back to society, to community all the way through. And that is, I think, one of the best ways to, to do so, particularly in terms of the transferable skills that you've had. And, and you know, in terms of some of the work that you're doing in terms of the, uh, whether it's as a trustee or whether it's as a volunteer, I mean, it reads off, you know, Helena, Helena Kennedy Foundation, you're a trustee of 318 uh, organization and hopefully you'll t- share with us what that organization does but also BII the British Institute of Innkeepers as well so a lot of trustee hats on uh, mm-hmm. apart from the work that you're currently doing as well so t- tell us a little bit about where's where's that coming from that urge to sort of give back to contribute and you know you're part of all of these communities and, and, and groups um, I'm not sure I see it as giving back particularly it's just something that is I've got something I can bring and add to, and therefore, why wouldn't I? Helen Kennedy Foundation, we've been working with that foundation since our 100th celebration, so the year after I joined Skills and Education Group. It's an amazing little charity that is around giving grants to learners that are going from FE into HE, Mm -hmm. and they provide support to those learners that are coming from quite difficult background sometimes and it's not just a bursary but it's about support development for those people as well and so we've been connected to and supporting that charity 
for as an organization for about 10, 11 years. And I was asked by uh, Dame Anne if I would be considered being a trustee okay. uh, of this charity she set up. Uh, so I've been there a little while now, and it's a fantastic the work that it does. And there's a number of us on the board uh, that's got a really committed group of trustees, but a really committed group of staff too, working with a very strong group of learners benefiting from the foundation. So yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be a part of that. So BII and the thirty one eight. Tell us a little bit about thirty one eight and BII. What what's the who, what are these organizations for those that may so not know? The British Institute of Inkeeping is exactly what it says. It's a membership body for the pub sector. Okay. We acquired their awarding organisation two and a half years ago. Uh, I was a fellow member of the BII. Uh, I'm now a companion member uh, as of this summer in recognition for some of the work that I've been doing with them. So I've joined their board as uh, an expert in training and development primarily uh, on their board, So, which is really good to be part of. And then 318 is a Christian safeguarding charity and it's involved in safeguarding uh, primarily in church communities so i'm involved in churches and pubs uh anchor, <laughs> anchor institutions in every community absolutely and you and you make it sound so easy and, and, and so straightforward so I had a yeah. fascinating interview yeah go on. fascinating interview with, uh, around with 31a around i'm also a trustee of the british institute of inkeeping yeah. so and they went Oh, that's fantastic. We had a, a great, because it was either, they, I'm, they're either going to say, thanks, but no, no thanks, thanks yeah. which is what I thought I was expecting. And they went, that's really good. So we had a really fascinating discussion. So uh, the board of 318 is a fantastic organization, but the others are quite aligned to my work. That is outside of my work. So that's been going for nearly nine, 10 months, nearly a year. Yeah, now, yeah. I've been there. Trustee there. Is, is that the organisation you were doing a little bit of work for when we met here by chance? No, no, Was that another organisation? No, no, that's the um, Birmingham and Edgbaston Debating Society. Yeah. Oh, yes. Debating, yes, you mentioned this. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's my enemy of me as well. And, there's a, and that's just that. I mean, again, there's probably a lot of other stuff that you're involved with. That's not on your CV. That's not on your profile. So you're, you're part of the Debating Society. I am. Uh, yeah. How, how's that going? How It's okay. I'm yeah. not the president anymore, yeah. which I was for a couple of years. A lot of uh, pressure though, isn't it? You know, what, what sort of topics of conversation? Oh, anything and everything. Yeah. Anything and everything. So, um, I, you know, if you're in Birmingham and you're, you want to be part of a, a really eclectic uh, society that debates anything and everything, then I would recommend the uh, Birmingham and Baston Debating Society. I've got coming up the president, the ex-president's debate, uh, which is in a couple of weeks' time in not this very room, but the room next door to the where we're recording this today. Any, any tips and tricks? I know people say you know talk talk in threes and so forth, but any any sort. Of- Quick tips and tips. I, I would say well, well, you've well, got to have some memorable one-liners. One-liners. Definitely some memorable one-liners. Find well, some ways to – there's some really great people in the society and I'm nowhere near in their league that have got just some way of bringing some humour in, debating some really challenging topics sometimes, but equally by, um, bringing some humour to it. 
Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And that makes me a lot more conscious in terms of what I'm going to say now going, <laughs> going, going forward. So, Paul, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, a quick light question, and then we're, I'm going to delve a little bit in terms of the organization and, and some of the, the work that you're doing within within the sector. So, you know, you're, you're from the hospitality background. Once a person is in the hospitality background, and particularly in terms of you frontline, front-facing, you, know, you, you can't take that away. You can't, you know. So whenever you're going into a sort of a leisurely organization whenever you're on holiday or when you're you know taking some time off are you are you always sort of looking at you know the quality of what people are doing in the customer service are, are you sort of is it just natural the fact that you're picking up on all of these things and how how people are serving you and and, and those sort of habits are they are they still there or if my wife and kids were here, they would probably say, absolutely. In fact, a number of colleagues were here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, it's about service. Yeah. Um, you probably know my palate's probably not as uh, wide-ranging yes, as yes, a number yeah. of others. We, we normally get the list from you uh, every year to say, well, I can't have this, I can't have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I turn, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a reputation for... Um, I'm well into equity and diversity yeah. and absolute advocate for that. But I'm not great with but, the food. But it's limited in terms of... Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I'm not great which with you, the food. Which makes it very hard when you're going to a multicultural <laughs> awards yeah. dinner. Well, my wife says I'm a complete embarrassment, oh. so which is probably true. Um, but and I, I rocked up at a dinner at the Grosvenor House a few years ago. And, you know, you have your name places. Yeah. And they sometimes put your food choices under your name. Yes. And it had... In front of me was a my name name and yeah. underneath my name it said Paul Eels, nothing hot or spicy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's which probably sums it up really well. well. That, that, that's a, <laughs> a great story there. That's where we must leave our conversation between Safraz and Paul. You can hear the second part of their chat in next week's episode. If you don't want to miss that, then remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you there are already 66 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd also love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast and please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy to follow business books, Canny Bites. These are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash buy the book. As I said, we'll be back next week with the second part of Safras's conversation with Paul Eels from the Skills and Education Group. So until then, we hope you have a good week. This is a 1386 audio production. 